Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There we go. It is Thursday, August 29th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we welcome back in these times writer, Miles Complassen. We're working it with Kim Ortiz of the Operating Engineers Local 150 and making his long-awaited return, director of the Black Harvest Film Festival, the one, the only, Sergio Mims. And now your host, watcher of Black Harvest Films, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling it President Losing It Thursday, and here's why. Well, as you all know, the Democrats are had in the middle of one of, another, one of their spirit debates, and this one has to do with whether Joe Biden, who's now number one in the polls, D, let's get it straight, number one in the polls, two more polls showed him uh, about 10 points ahead of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. So all this concern about the number one guy in the polls, Joe Biden, is he losing it, to put it mildly? Day doesn't pass, it seems, with uh, Grandpa Joe, as we lovingly call him here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, show signs of losing his marbles, okay? He has memory lapse, he stumbles, he says things he shouldn't have said, he apologizes for saying stuff. He's like, I don't know. He's always sort of like, has that look in his eye, like, oh, where, where, where am I? The other day, he got mixed up, D. He said, he was in Vermont when he was really in New Hampshire, or maybe it was the other way around. I may be losing it. Okay, Don't, don't run for president. <laughs> and really, folks, let's just be honest. New Hampshire, Vermont, you know, really, what's the difference? Uh, all letters and insults, just send them, and complaints, just send them to Dr. D over there. Anyway, so he got New Hampshire mixed up with Vermont, and uh, so everybody says, uh-oh, he's losing it. Meanwhile, on the other side of the fence, you got Donald Trump. He's showing signs of losing it every day, but nobody talks about that. This gets to one of my oh, favorite Oh, no one topics. talks about Donald Trump losing his mind. Never. No, no, they talk about Donald Trump being inappropriate. They talk about Donald Trump being a racist. They talk about Donald Trump being a bigot. But I don't know anybody talking as much about uh, Donald Trump losing his marbles the way they talk about Joe Biden. I don't see Britt Hume, for instance, tweeting out about it, concerned. I don't see Fox News talking about it. Is Donald Trump losing his marbles? I don't see Breitbart writing stories about it, and I dutifully read Breitbart. I don't see Johnny Cass in the Chicago Tribune writing about it, and I dutifully read Johnny Cass. That's, that's Johnny Cass, D. Thank you. Not Cash, the singer. Anyway, 
So uh, is Donald Trump losing his marbles? One of my favorite uh, little themes here, sort of the double standards when it comes to Democrats and Republicans. We've talked about it many times, particularly in the issue of sexual harassment. Very important issue across the board, but it seems to only matter in the Democratic side of things. Al Franken stepped down after, what was it, eight complaints, D, of sexual harassment. Uh, he stepped down as the Senate, gave up his Senate seat. Meanwhile, the Republicans were running a guy named Roy Moore who had uh, been prowling malls in Alabama looking for 15-year-old girls to date when he was in 30s and guess what the republicans nominated him uh to be their u.s senate candidate so a little bit of a double standard when it comes to judging what's right and wrong between republicans and democrats anyway in terms of is donald trump losing his mind i turn to gail collins from the new york times who does a very good job of covering this particular issue and uh this is what she had to say in in today's column day i thought this was pretty interesting okay uh here's here is what uh what she's writing my favorite moment in donald Trump's trip to France came when our president was doing a little riff about North Korea and Kim Jong-un. Not only had he come to know Kim well, Trump told reporters, but quote, the first lady has gotten to know Kim Jong-un, and I think she agreed with me. He is a man with a country that has tremendous potential, end of quote. Melania Trump has never met Kim Jong-un, paging the cleanup crew, at which point Stephanie Grisham, the president's press secretary, comes out and says, quote, President Trump confides in his wife on many issues, including the detailed elements in his strong relationship with Chris Chairman Kim. And while the first lady hasn't met him, the president feels she's gotten to know him, too. All right, get that, D? So it wasn't really literally that she met him and know, know, knows him and changed her attitude about him, but it's just based on things that he told her. Okay, if you tell us, uh, you want evidence? too here you go uh that's talking more about more news from uh, trump's visit to europe uh the meeting in france wasn't the only recent exchange with world leaders that suggested trump is suffering from something more worrisome than a lack of coherent foreign policy Back in April, after talking with NATO officials in Washington, he said that despite his complaints about Germany, he had, quote, great respect for the country from which his father emigrated. My father is German, born in a very wonderful place in Germany, end of quote. However, Donald Trump's father, Fred Trump, was born in Bronx. <laughs> All right, Germany, Bronx. You know, they're giving Brit Hume and the, Re- the Republicans are giving Biden, cre- you know, hard time, D, for mixing up New Hampshire and Vermont. But come on, the Bronx, Germany, Bronx, you know, come on. You, hey, I don't know the difference half the time between the Bronx and Germany. Anyway, folks, here's the deal. When it comes to Joe Biden and Donald Trump, which one is losing it more than the other? I'm not quite sure at the moment, but I'll tell you this. My hunch is push come to shove. As with all things dealing with Donald Trump, it's only worse with Donald Trump. We got a great show today, everybody. Miles Conflas will be here from In These Times. He's going to be talking about Joe Biden. He's very critical of Joe Biden. He also has a, uh, an interesting article about uh, the Wendy's, uh, excuse me, not Wendy's, Popeye's uh, chicken sandwich uh, and, and uh, how the company is making huge amounts of money, uh, but their workers aren't doing so well. Very interesting stuff for Miles Conflas. We're talking uh, national and local politics. Also talking about Lori's speech, what to expect uh, in the uh, I guess it's, well, we'll get to that, her speech that she's delivering tonight. Kim Ortiz will be here from Operating Engineers. We're talking some union stuff with Kim Ortiz. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Sergio Mims, will be here at about 2.30. We'll be talking about Black Harvest Film Festival. And he has some interesting takes on local politics, including his Pete Buttigieg moment, which I'm sure you're looking forward to, D. So we've got a great show ahead of us, a lot of political talk, local, national, state. Before we do any of that, Dr. D with the news. All right, everybody, tonight is the night. When I was a little girl, I remember singing the song, This Little Light of Mine. I'm 
going to let it shine. We've said it's time to bring in the light. And it's sure shining on all of us tonight. That's right. Another speech from Lori Lightfoot is going to be happening. She's going to be giving her no longer budget, but now state of the city address. That's what we've learned in the last few days. And uh, more on that in moments. But first, let's talk some state news, shall we? Illinois Comprehensive Annual Financial Report, or the CAFR, was released today. Now, if you've lived in Illinois the last couple of years, you already know that out of all of these great United States, ours, Illinois, <laughs> well, we haven't been the most fiscally responsible. There was that string of years recently where we had no budget, and we've basically been the nation's broke-ass uncle since 2014. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder why that was, actually. Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Uh, gone, but not forgotten. So lately, just the mere thought of a comprehensive annual finance report, or CAFR, is damn near frightening, all right? But, Ben Drosky, good news here. The oh. C, this CAFR shows that the state of Illinois cut its general funds deficit by $6.849 billion from a deficit of $14.612 billion in fiscal year 2017 to a deficit now of $7.763 billion in fiscal year 2018. Now, Ben, I see that look on your face. I know you're wondering, why? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, well, really? I was don't, just wondering. Don't worry. I got it right here. All right. Because apparently it's largely because of a refinancing of state debt uh -huh. from high interest to low interest repayment. The state's total assets were approximately $53.9 billion on June 30th, 2018, a decrease of $400 million from June 30th, 2017. The state's total liabilities were approximately $248.1 billion on June 30th. 2018, an increase of $33.3 billion from June 30th, 2017. And the state's largest liability balances are the net pension liability of $133.6 billion and the other post-employment benefits liability of $55.2 billion. Ben Jarofsky is Uncle Illinois starting to get its act together. <laughs> Man, that was a lot of numbers. I was dutifully writing down every single number uh, that you, you were stating. And, uh, you know, it's really hard to say to say we're getting our act together. I mean, the big number that you cited, where uh, the what our, our deficit went from fourteen billion to seven billion, is that what you said? So you know, it's good to say it was cut in half. On the other hand, seven billion is a lot of money. Although, so I don't, I, I'm not ready to say that. Uh, how did you put it? That was a pretty good line. Uncle Illinois is out of uh, is out of debt yet. No, we're pretty, uh, we're pretty. We have some dire times, and as always, uh, the struggle in Illinois uh, and in the city of Chicago. We'll get to that. Is to figure out ways to pay the bills. Uh, we've gone far too long without paying them. And you're absolutely correct. Those last four years uh, of the Rounder, where, the, where uh, Rounder was uh, heading on on the path to bankruptcy uh, in his war against the unions, really set us back. So I don't know, D, uh, if we're on the road to, uh, to financial stability. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of income streams that uh, Governor Pritzker is depending on that I don't know he'll get. One being uh, the gambling expansion, the huge gambling expansion. We don't, I don't know how much of that expansion will actually take place. Just today in the story, there's stories in the paper that Arlington uh, is threatening to, uh, the Arlington racetrack is threatening to go out of business or uh, to move to another location uh, if they 
don't get to renegotiate uh, their uh, deal with the state. So, you know, that, there could be less gambling money coming in than they anticipated. The state's anticipating uh, the gambling money. They're already paying bills, dedicating that gambling money to bills. So if if the gambling money doesn't come in, I don't know where the, they're, how they're going to pay off those bills. And it's the same thing with uh, uh, reefer revenue, as I call it, marijuana revenue. When you legalize marijuana, they probably exaggerated the amount of marijuana money that's going to come in as well, Steve. So uh, it's still difficult times. But I suppose $7 billion in the whole is better than $14 billion. So how about that, D? Uh, what do you always say? Look at the glass half full, Ben, yeah. not half empty. All right. Seven Either billion. way, it's it's empty. Oh, I tell you that like eight times a day. <laughs> Every day he's telling me, come on, put a smile on your face. $7 billion is better than $14 billion in debt. And I can't think of another person more happy about this news <laughs> than our Illinois controller and good friend of the Ben Jarofsky show, one Susana Mendoza. Now, she's the one who's had to stare at this deficit every single day for quite some time. Uh, She's so overwhelmed so much. uh, Last year, she said, to hell with this. I'm running for mayor. I don't want to look at this thing anymore. I'm freaking out. You know? Yeah. She did run for mayor. And holy crap, did she go through state budget hell with our former Republican Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner. Ben, you recall that, don't you? Oh, absolutely. That's that's how I got to know Susanna Mendoza. I gave her credit. Uh, Susanna Mendoza and I started on the different sides of the Democratic Party, if you will. I'm not really a member of the Democratic Party, but I'm a loyal Democratic voter, and she was uh, more of the Michael Madigan, Ed Burke type of of Democratic supporter of Richie Daly. And uh, Rahm, eventually she was an ally of Rahm. But uh, in I... I always gave her credit for that valiant fight she waged against Bruce Rauner. She was unafraid to go after him, go after him hard. And uh, in what was it, 2016 and 2017, uh, and, and just drawing a focus, drawing attention on the, the mounting deficit uh, that he was racking up because uh, he didn't want to pass a budget because he wanted to use a budgetless, uh, budgetless state as like a, a, a weapon against the unions to try to force Democrats to uh, uh, pass anti-union legislation. So I always gave her credit for uh, taking the tough stand against Rauner and not uh, ducking from that fight. Yes, Mendoza's been hustling. She's been crunching the numbers up, <laughs> tallying it up, looking at the total. Yes, and yes, she that's Mendoza. Uh, yeah. right Hold there. on. No, it could be Abdin Palish. Her uh, a PR guy, her ace uh, advisor. Who no, she's like, get out of the way, Abbott. I know how to do this. And Mendoza has something to say about this news. All right, Ben? Controller Susana Mendoza said that the prior administration, this guy. Yay for our teachers. Yay for our teachers. <laughs> yeah. Bruce Rauner relied too heavily on third-party non-government contractors to perform sensitive data conversions without adequate monitoring controls from state agency officials. I mean, of course. Hey, Ben, what does that mean? <laughs> I have no idea. This is getting down in the weeds. I read, it was. this is from uh, Rich Miller's column, Capital Facts, a great Rich Miller. And uh, the bottom line, is, uh, as I get it, is that the part of the reason why we're so late we're just tallying up uh, totals of how much the deficit is is because uh, some contractor was late or uh, delinquent uh in uh, doing his duties i i 
I am a little nervous about turning everything over to outside contractors in general. Uh, I think government's better off when you have people uh, on the inside whose job it is to systematically study the budget. You want them to be as uh, objective as possible, uh, you know, to have something like the Congressional Budget Office uh, in, the, in the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago. And of course, we're far removed from that. Everything is very partisan, uh, particularly in Chicago, where so many of the budget's uh, estimates are governed by operatives of the mayor. This is especially true in the days of uh, Daly and Rom. So uh, I, I'm, I would wish we had some independent uh, uh, auditors, if you will, who you could really trust uh, to just give us the hard facts as opposed to people who might be influenced by politics. Wouldn't that be great to have in life? Yes. Independent auditors. <laughs> We could all use that, right, Ben? Oh, I could use it. I'm an independent auditor of my own financial world, all right, D? I know what's in my bank book every day. Hold on here, we want to carry the two. I'm just like... Yeah, Susanna. I know what's in my bank book, too. <laughs> I think <laughs> the last I looked, uh, $8.70. Whoa, times are good. Oh, all I right. know. That's 70 cents. Hey, you're better than the state of Illinois. Hey, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you're you're in the uh, plus column, <laughs> all right? The state of Illinois is down $7 billion and they're saying good news. <laughs> but it is $6 cheeseburger night at the uh, the restaurant I go to oh, tonight. Man. So I don't, hey, don't I owe you I owe you a uh, dinner. You oh, made a yeah. shot yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So they keep that $8 safe, huh? I'm going to I'm treating you somewhere I can't remember. And when we throw garbage in the hamper, Ben always uh makes wagers if I make it in or not. And last night he made it. It was I was so astounded I passed out. Here's the quote from Mendoza. Quote, okay. we should not expect outside consultants to perform critical government functions, especially regarding data involving eligibility determinations under the state's Medicaid program, serving the state's most vulnerable citizens without adequate controls to protect the state's program and ultimately state taxpayers. Yeah, I agree. Here, here. But, you know, that independent auditor is hard to come by. <laughs> You know, everybody feels the pain and the pressure uh, from the uh, powerful politicians in the state. I liked it when we had, I have to say, in terms of the... of the controller's office when she was on a mission. Okay. When Mendoza was on a mission, uh, to battle Rauner, I had, I've, I had a sense that we were getting somewhere at the truth because she was not going to, uh, uh kowtow to him in any way. And he was going to come at it with his numbers and she was going to come at it with her numbers. So in, in that sense, you could sort of figure out where we were. All right, there's more information on that. Go read it. There's a lot of numbers involved. My brain's starting to hurt from reading all those numbers. So we're moving on. Bottom ben. line, seven billion's not good. Yeah. All right. Ben, let's talk about tonight's speech from Lori Lightfoot. When I was a little girl. Okay, that's enough, Lori. Like I said earlier, we've gone from a budget address to a state of the city address. Yeah, I saw that. And rumor has it now we've gone from this big, big old speech. It's going to be about the state budget. Well, rumor has it now that this city. thing's going to be short and sweet, about 10 to 15 minutes. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Things change so fast. I mean, you know, it's it's really funny. I guess the the mayor's PR people have said, hey, maybe we should lower the stakes a little bit. The expectations were so high. I wrote about it. Uh, the high, I called it the Gettysburg Address of Lori Lightfoot. Neil Steinberg on uh, on Monday, I think it was, wrote a very funny column in the Sun-Times about never had so much attention been put on a, a, a budget address. And so Lori said, you know what? I, 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 I'm not sure what I'm going to say. Uh, let's <laughs> let's just call it a state of the city and, uh, you know, lower the stakes a little bit. Talk, so. Tell everybody about Maine. <laughs> <laughs> Lobster rolls in Maine were delicious. 
But let's talk about that uh, that budget. Yeah. When Lightfoot took office and prepared her twenty. By the way, this comes from the Chicago Tribune. I didn't put what writer. Sorry. When Lightfoot oh. took office and prepared her twenty twenty budget, it was expected she would have to come up with a combined five hundred twenty eight million dollars in tax increases and budget cuts. Oh, Mendoza would be freaking out at that total. <laughs> but in May, officials in former Mayor Rahm Emanuel's administration predicted the shortfall would be closer to seven hundred million dollars because of costs previously covered. With expensive borrowing practices and the city's pension investments, poor performance at the end of 2018 as the stock market dipped. Mm-hmm. Lightfoot has previously disputed the Emanuel administration's budget hole estimate, saying it's even worse. Mm-hmm. Ben, your thoughts? Well, this is uh, 101, folks, of budgeteering in uh, uh, Chicago politics. I've been watching mayors do this year after year. And so, an incoming mayor. In her first year, with her first budget, uh, like Lori Lightfoot is, it's to her advantage to maximize the amount of money that the city faces in obligations because she's got she's got never has a better opportunity d to hit the people up to soak them with a tax because she's three years away from having to run for re-election okay and also she could blame everything on her predecessor mayor rom and listen i'm not sobbing for mayor rom mayor rom spent eight years blaming everything on mayor daly all right now mayor daly to his credit didn't really blame the person who came ahead of him, he never really had to because there wasn't a lot of scrutiny on Mayor Daley during that uh, those first 10 years. Let's face it, he had, by and large, he had the powers of being the city in his pocket. Uh, but uh, anyway, Mayor Ron blamed everything on Daley without naming him. Uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, will pro- now blame everything on Rom. And the issue I have with the speech, D, I put this... Uh, out in the column, will she name Mayor Rahm? When she's blaming the predecessor and the policies of the past, will she name Mayor Rahm? I doubt it. You oh, know. you say no? I say uh, yes. You say she's going to name him? Miles just got here. Miles, what do you say? Is Lori Lightfoot going to say Mayor Rahm's name? And yeah. nah. Well, here's, here's, here's how I think she's going to do it. Right, this is my prediction. I already put it out there, so I, I can't duck and dodge it. Uh, I think what she's going to do, D, is give him credit for things. And so by that, his name is out there. And then she's going to do a pivot and say, but our predecessor uh, was horrible at the budget. And so that that way, she's pretty much confident that even Chicagoans, our elected officials have a very low estimation as we talk. I've said many times, they have a very low estimation of the intelligence of Chicago voters. But even Chicagoans will figure that out. Hey, wait a minute. If she said the last mayor who did a good thing was Mayor Rahm, then that must be Mayor Rahm who did the bad thing, D. So I think she'll be a little passive aggressive in there. Now, last week, uh, we've been talking about it here. We were talking about the 100 days of Lori Lightfoot. And it's kind of a tradition after 100 days as mayor or any elected official to kind of give them a review. Well, people have been given reviews and, well, they haven't been so great. Uh, and Lori Lightfoot weighed in on that, uh, on this article as well. She said, quote, I don't have any illusions, not just in the first 100 days, but ever that I'm going to be able to please everyone on every single issue. That's not life. That's not realistic. That's not democracy. <laughs> I saw that quote. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And she's absolutely correct. She will not please everybody uh, on this issue, on these issues. Brandon Johnson from uh, the Cook County Board Commissioner was in the studio yesterday and I'm uh, a, a member of the Chicago Teachers Union and he was hitting her hard as a progressive. And when I was listening to Brandon, I was thinking if I'm Lori La- uh, Lightfoot's political operatives, I would think of it this way. Uh, this 
Chicago Teachers Union supported Tony Preckwinkle. Tony Preckwinkle got 25% of the vote. So right now, I, Lori Lightfoot, uh, have a mandate. That's how I would view it if uh, I were an operative for Lori Lightfoot. I'm not an operative for Lori Lightfoot, but that's how I think she'll view it. And so I don't. I think they feel they have uh, the luxury to upset the Brandon Johnsons of the world and still maintain popularity throughout the city because they figure it well. Progressives like Brandon Johnson and the Chicago Teachers Union can't be that popular in this town because they only got 20, their candidate only got 25% of the vote. So I think that's the political calculation Lori Lightfoot's going to make. All right. And uh, we move on with the Tribune article here. It says, still adding to the chorus of voices publicly calling on Lightfoot to live up to progressive campaign promises as she hits the 100-day mark, a handful of aldermen said that they want her to find ways to tax the rich instead of leaning on struggling Chicagoans to fill the city's 2020 budget hole. If she doesn't, they'll all vote against the spending package, they said. Lightfoot administration's officials told Alderman. Uh, we got a quote here from the 10th Ward Alderwoman, Sue Sedlowski-Garza. She said, quote, they're going to keep us in suspense about the exact size of the budget hole the mayor will detain in her Thursday evening speech. And she goes on here to say it's expected to be somewhere between $750 million and $1 billion. Yeah, well, the reality is this, folks. You only need uh, 26 votes to pass a budget. Actually, you only need 25 because the uh, the tiebreaker is the mayor. But whatever. So say you need 26 vo- city council votes to pass a budget. Uh, there are six uh, Democratic Socialists, I believe, in the Chicago City Council. There's maybe 10 of what I would call real uh, true blue progressives. So they could all vote no, D, and you still pass your budget. And uh, we have this bizarre notion in the city of Chicago that the mayor's power is displayed by the the size of the yes vote that he or she can command from the city council. And this was something that Rahm was obsessed with. He wanted as many yeses as he could. He was always like, obsessed with trying to, again, comparing himself with Daly. Hey, I get 50 to nothing. So he got that 50 to nothing vote in the first budget. And that was a disgraceful budget. And many progressives in the city council. So there weren't a lot at the time, but Scott Wagsback being one uh, said they uh, we were embarrassed uh, that they allowed their arms to be twisted into voting yes. So I encourage the progressives in the Chicago City Council uh, to vote no against Lori Lightfoot's budget if they think it's unfair, if they don't think it's progressive enough, if they, if they think she's backing off on uh, raising taxes on the wealthy and finding more progressive and less regressive ways to finance government. I encourage them to vote no because that's the only way you can put that kind of political pressure uh, on Lori uh, to do the right thing uh, if you think progressivism is the right thing. If you just joined us live, how's it going, by the way? Uh, we're recapping tonight's uh, budget speech. Well, sorry, not budget speech. State of the city speech. And that was a quick change. From Mayor Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going over people's thoughts here and more aldermanic comments we have here on tonight's speech. Northwest side alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa of the 35th Ward weighed in. He said he doesn't want the mayor to ask people all across Chicago to pull together to deal with the massive 2024, uh, 2020 shortfall. Quote, the rumor that I've heard is that the theme of tomorrow's speech is shared pain. And that's certainly what I don't want to hear because my constituents have been feeling the pain for a very long time. What we're hoping to hear tomorrow is that the mayor is serious about moving forward on progressive revenue, things that the past administrations have 
ruled out as unfeasible because it asks the rich and powerful and many times their donors to pay their fair share. Yeah, Carlos is putting it right out there. By the way, Carlos will be our guest uh, next Tuesday. And I'm sure we'll be talking all about this budget because by then the speech will have been delivered, whether it's a state of the city or a state of the budget or whatever she's calling it today, whether it's 10 minutes long or 30 minutes long, whatever it is. By then she will have uh, uh, showed her cards. And uh, yeah, but listen. Again, Carlos is making it very clear. Uh, this is what Brandon Johnson was talking about yesterday. This is uh, what sort of the progressive tune in the city of Chicago is that the city should look to other sources of taxes uh, that are less regressive. So, for instance, LaSalle Street tax. We've been I've been hearing progressives talk about uh, putting a tax on the the sale of uh, uh, of like stocks and stuff here in the city of Chicago or uh, at the commodities exchange. For years, I've been hearing them talk about this, and it's against the law right now. It would require a change in the law. Uh, I don't see any movement in Springfield to champion this issue. Every now and then, there's Mary Flowers from uh, Englewood introduces a bill uh, along these lines, and every now and then, there's a hearing, and then it gets buried. So it would take a tremendous movement, not just in the city of Chicago, but throughout the state, uh, to, to head in that direction uh, to pass the laws that need to be passed so that uh, Carlos could get the the, um, the progressive taxes that he wants. I don't see that happening now. But again, D, if you just roll over and don't fight and don't champion your issues, it will never happen. So I understand why Carlos is doing what he's doing. All right. And one more comment from an alderman at a separate event, Southwest Side Alderman Raymond Lopez oh, Raylo. Mm-hmm. of the 15th Ward was critical of the administration for not yet giving aldermen an exact figure. Here's the quote from Lopez. Quote, you can't have a real discussion without starting from an honest point of truth. The fact we're told, well, it's going to be more than this, but we're not going to tell you what it is. It's just not very conducive to having an actual conversation. Lopez also said that the, quote, hybrid state of the city slash budget speech is an unwelcome departure from the way aldermen typically receive this information in city council chambers. Quote, this is kind of a new version of life for us, part theater, part made for TV and part governance. I'm not particularly a fan of it. How about you, Ben? Are you a fan of it? Well, first of all, I don't see anything new with it. Uh, and listen, wait, let me just stop. Ray Lopez. Ray Lowe is a, has been a guest on our show and I'm going to bring him back because uh, I appreciate the fact that he's outspoken and he's willing to be uh, sort of a like a, a thorn in the mayor's side. I appreciate outspokenness and a part of our alderman. As I was saying earlier, when it comes to the state budget, the same thing is true with the city budget. Uh, the more the more difference of opinion we have, I think, uh, the better off we are because you're going to get contrarian views and then you can try to figure out what where the truth lies. All right. So I appreciate Ray Lopez uh, taking a stand for whatever reason uh, against Lori Lightfoot. I'm not quite sure why he's doing it, uh, but I will point out that there's really nothing new about these uh, budget what do you call them? Pageantry. They're all staged. They're all theatrics. Uh, I've watched Mayor Daly go through this uh, routine. I, met, I watched Mayor Rahm go through the routine. I would say that Lori Lightfoot promises to be far more what transparent and open than Rahm was. She's going to have some budget hearings where she meets the people at least. Rahm, after the first time, he did that one year, uh, Ray Lopez, and then the people booed at him, so he ran the other way and he wouldn't do it again. So there's nothing new about a mayor trying trying to control the situation to make him or herself look absolutely good and right. And generally there's an amen chorus of aldermen singing their praise. So this is not new. What
what is new, I guess, sort of, is that Ray Lopez is one of the leaders in the choir uh, demanding more transparency. And to that, I say, well, welcome to the club. Welcome to the party, uh, Ray Lo. So once again, tonight is the night. Lori Lightfoot's no longer budget address. Now 10 minutes state of the city address. <laughs> when I was a little girl. <laughs> What? I remember singing. All right, oh, that's enough. <laughs> Time out of stage. It really is down to 10 minutes. I, the, that rumor has it. <laughs> is that right? I'm looking at Brian who's in the room. Is that right? He's nodding. Is he? No, he didn't know. Uh, but okay, down to 10. Man, when this thing started, it was like a half hour. And it was just, you know, she's going to have guests there. So now down to 10 minutes. Pretty soon it'll be like a, a tweet. She's going to get it down to a tweet, D. Uh, that's how Donald Trump would do it, by Guys, the way. Guys, it's Survivor Night. I got to get going. Uh, <laughs> let's just make this quick. Actually, I got to, you know, I mean, me, I got to get over uh, to the Black Harvest Film Festival. I got to see Crooklyn tonight, all right? So, uh, you know, hey, speed it up, Lori. I got a movie to catch. Ah, yes, it is. Uh, Black Harvest Film Festival season. Yeah. That's, that's going on. Yeah. You know what uh, season's coming up? No. Uh, Ready, set, 2020? Ready, set, 2020 season. Football season, for those that don't know what that means. (laughs) Ready, set, 2020. That means that the best uh, sports reporters at Chicago at the Chicago Sun-Times want to offer you, yes, Y-O-U, you, the listener, an exclusive deal on unlimited (laughs) what's so funny. No, because when I do this, that's me being the quarterback, asking the crowd not to be so loud. Okay. Okay. that's you flying like yeah, a bird. No, I'm sick thinking if anybody's why, what is he doing? Red Dog 2020. He's special, isn't he, <laughs> listeners? All right. Uh, that means the best sports. Hey, I know the difference between Vermont and New Hampshire. <laughs> I know the difference between the Bronx and Germany. All right. I'm qualified to be president of the United States. I'm just going to read it over. It's almost football season, which means that the best sports reporters of the Chicago Sun-Times want to offer you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Do not miss a game this season. Get all the big plays, scores, and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet. Only $29.99 for a full year of all the news and sports that you need to know. Stay up to date on breaking stories. Get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters and go deep inside City Hall with best in-class political reporting. And, of course, cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city. What's that noise again, Ben? Ready, set, 2020. Yeah, <laughs> ready. Blue dog, okay. blue dog. Well, that's, See, that's the. That's when I'm uh, uh, changing the play, okay? Oh, that's, you know, uh, blue dog. Blue dog. <laughs> Changing the play. That's audible. Dog. You know what that is? Uh, football fans out there. Audible. Uh-oh. I see. I'm looking at the defense, Dean. I go, uh-oh. The linebacker's not where I thought he would be. I got to call a different play. When the crowd's too loud, I got to, hey, stop yelling. So $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. You cannot do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben, people, we're going to take a quick little break here. And when we come back, well, our good friend from In These Times magazine, the one, the only, Miles Comp Lassen will be joining us. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had 
two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL resident. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. 
Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live and in the studio with me, Miles Kampflassen from In These Times, investigative reporter, columnist, brilliant writer. Miles, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ben. Good to be here. Uh, and uh, usually as I, I give out the homework assignments and I tell my guests what I want them to talk about, what I want them to read and think about, etc., etc. Things are a little different with Miles. Not one, but two articles <laughs> that he sent me, one of which he wrote, uh, which is an outstanding story about uh, Popeye's chicken. Everybody knows I love chicken pretty much more than any anything other than the Chicago Bulls and um, uh, so but I've not the I've not had the new Popeye's chicken sandwich even though everyone's raving about it uh, Miles took the deep dive on the Popeye's chicken sandwich situation but it had a little different take than most so why don't you uh, explain to people what I'm talking about Miles? sure so uh, I gotta say this is one of the best chicken sandwiches I've had uh, I think that it does live up to all the hype and this is quite a bit of hype I have not seen a real fast food event like this uh, in recent times you know we've got every place from Vice to the New Yorker to the Los Angeles Times praising the sandwich the uh, Los Angeles Times actually said it's an economic indicator showing that you know there's high consumer demand that shows, you know, the economy's in a stronger position because everybody wants a sandwich. Uh, and what we've seen now is that actually Popeye's has um, briefly put it on hold. They said they still have it in some locations, but nationwide, they expected to have enough um, of the product available till the end of September. Just one second before we get into the real, uh, the meat of the issue <laughs> uh, of, of the story that you wrote, and it's a really good story. Uh, but what is it that makes this sandwich taste so good, in your humble opinion? Well, I don't know what they're doing behind with their special blend of spices or what have you. What For me, uh, I think what really stands out is that, for one thing, it's, you know, usually you have thigh meat in a chicken in a fried chicken sandwich. This is breast meat, so it's white meat. Uh, the It's kind of like a tempura-like fry, you know? It's extra crunchy. It doesn't get soggy like so many chicken sandwiches, and it's incredibly simple. It's just mayonnaise and pickles on this bun, and the bun is just like butter, you know, it melts in your oh mouth. I don't mean to I'm be hungry. <laughs> but it, my, the other, we had two miles in the studio today, ladies. I'm so confused. Miles, you've had it. You and your dad have uh, Cap yeah. has had it. Yeah, I've had it with my teammates as well. Okay, and uh, I've that, had it twice now. I would have it more if it was still around. Oh man. Uh, okay, so uh, so I don't want to do free advertising for yeah. Popeyes. I do want to say Popeyes, Carla, this place. That, except you can't get it. What yeah. good is the advertising? Exactly. You can't get the sandwich. Well, and they've been having a big public uh, feud. This has become the newest rage lately, right? As these public uh, feuds between fast food companies and the uh, Popeyes and Chick Fil A are going back and forth on this, right? <laughs> I missed this. How did uh, I miss this? <laughs> what, what, what's this fight about? Well, over who has the better chicken sandwich because Chick Fil A has rested their whole you know, uh, reputation on having the best fried chicken sandwich. That's what they do at Chick-fil-A. And now Popeye's has come in and everybody's, you know, given all the love to Popeye's. But I do want to circle back to what the reason I decided to kind of, you know, write something about this. It was not just to praise, um, Popeyes. A, you know, profit hungry fast food company, but rather to critique it and say, look, the benefits of this phenomenon of this great, you know, chicken sandwich being sold right now, they're going towards these ultra rich owners of the companies, the shareholders, the, um, you know, the stockholders, business owners, rather than the workers, the workers are slammed. This is the result. We've seen reports of them having to work, you know, 60 hour weeks, these employees working through the night because of high demand. If you've been to one of these locations, the, you know, there's lines out the door, people are ravenous, they're hungry. And then when they find out the chicken sandwiches, there they you know are 
extremely rude to uh, to the workers. So the workers, not only are they facing kind of uh, undignified conditions at work of being yelled at by hungry restaurateurs, but more importantly, I think they are not benefiting from the massive um, profits that the company is making off of the sandwich right now that, you know, the average cook makes uh, just over $8 an hour at a Popeye's location. And the fast food industry is the most unequal industry in the country in terms of the differential between the uh, income of the CEOs versus their workers. It's on average about 1,200 times more the CEO makes than the average worker. And that's meant about $19,000 a year for workers, which is certainly you know a poverty wage, and about almost $24 million a year for the CEOs of an average fast food company. Oh my, $19,000 for the worker and $24 million did you say a year? Yeah, that's on that's on average. And so, you know, what the fast food companies will always say is that if we see an increase in wages, you know, in the minimum wage, that's going to mean higher costs of the product. And that's going to, you know, turn away consumers. And that the only way we can keep the sandwich, which is right now $3.99 for this chicken sandwich, the price it is, is to have these low wages. I, you know, when you the fast food companies are having owners making you know, tens of millions of dollars, it almost seems like that could go back into the product itself. Maybe we don't need these huge compensation packages. Um, And what we've also seen, you know, in New York, New York raised their minimum wage to $15 an hour, right? Mm -hmm. And that included restaurants across the city. You'd expect perhaps that over the course of when this uh, was phased in over the past three years, you would see that type of an impact of people going out less, you know, they don't want to spend as much. It's the exact opposite. A report came out two weeks ago that said business at restaurants in New York is thriving, and that includes the fast food sector as well. So um, it's it seems a baseless argument to say if we pay employees more, we're going to have to raise the prices of the uh, the product. You know, when you have these massive profits that are going into um, the hands of the bosses and not the workers, it's it, the question is about redistribution. It's not about you know scarcity. And I think that the, it's a race to the bottom argument. If you say that, you know, it's like you're always going to want to pay your employees less and less and less rather than having basic standards. Yeah, and uh, in terms of uh, health benefits, that was something else your article touched on. Yeah, well, 90% of fast food workers do not get health health insurance through their employer. So when we hear all these arguments saying people love their private health insurance, these, you know, there's millions and millions of fast food workers in America, and 90% of them don't get healthcare through their employers, they don't even have access to any healthcare. That means that they're living in a ultimate precarity where one health uh, issue, you know, 25% of Americans don't have $400 on hand for a medical emergency if they need it. So you, when you're living uh, under those conditions, you just don't have the ability to kind of uh, plan for your future, to have any sense of security. You're always worried about what could happen next. So what I talk about is, you know, that's where something like Medicare for All could have a really major impact on um, the lives of the people that are serving these fa- serving these chicken sandwiches. You know, they would have less concern that would make them more secure in their uh, jobs. We could also have something like a federal jobs guarantee, which has been proposed for you know decades. Mm-hmm. It's become a little bit more in vogue now. But uh, FDR was talking about a federal jobs guarantee. And what do you mean economic. by federal jobs guarantee? <laughs> Bill of Rights. So that's something that a number of candidates have talked about. Even Kristen uh, Gillibrand, who just dropped out of the presidential race, she had push this as well as, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders has talked about it. It's basically a, um, 
it would provide a job, a good paying union job to anybody who wants one, and they would be subsidized by the U.S. government. It's basically similar to what happened in the uh, the New Deal, you know, creations like the TVA, all these different public works projects. The government made those jobs and they offered them to people. So this is just talking about doing that at a mass scale um, and then allowing people to have that freedom to know that they're going to get a job wherever they are. They're not going to have to be scrounging and fighting. And as I said, on this race to the bottom. So those are a couple like federal level programs that could go a long way towards making fast food workers lives better. As I said, redistributing the profits and the wealth created by, um, or actually hoarded by the, um, the, owners of these companies could go a massive way towards making the lives better for people uh, that are serving these fast food sandwiches that right now, you know, we all love eating the sandwich, but it's kind of a curse for the workers because they're, they're not getting any, but they don't get tips. They're not seeing any benefits. benefits. From this. Well, it's not a benefit, but uh, the longer lines have to deal with angry customers. Exactly. And, and what's missing from this equation uh, is what I would call a market-driven solution to this. And follow me what I'm saying. I was thinking of this when I was reading your story. Uh, in a market-driven solution, the, the, there would be an incentive for employees to work as quickly as they can, to make more sandwiches as they can, to make sure that that line is as short as it could possibly be. And uh, that incentive would be if profits go up, uh, you get a share of the profits. And I see no... Uh, rhetoric coming from uh, my good friends on the Republican side uh, of the aisle, my libertarian friends, uh, to deal with this situation from a market standpoint. Uh, and I was looking in your article for any evidence of that. In other words, you have a hugely popular product, but yeah. it seems as though the assumption is, is that the people who make the product, the people who sell the product, the people who promote the product uh, at the workplace, who greet the customer, yeah. are utterly insignificant. And if they could, they would replace them with robots immediately. Exactly. exactly. It's an inhumane way to approach you know, employment, right? Because what the um, CEO uh, of Popeyes will say is that we pride ourselves on having you know, good customer service. Well, when you have employees that are working 60-hour weeks that don't get health care, that are making $8 an hour, they're not going to be in a position to be you know, super happy about dealing with angry customers in a line. And you know, they're not seeing any any benefit, as I said, they're only seeing um, the drawbacks to it, and they're on the front lines. These, you know, they've had to shut down locations because of how, you know, uh, how, how popular and how long these lines are. Um, what I talk about is, you know, putting forward some of these redistributive uh, policies that could make for um, better livelihoods for workers. But when we think beyond just, you know, how employees are treated, there's a whole question of our modern food system as well, and how much greenhouse gas it emits, and you know, factory farming and uh, meat production. And these are all horribly inhumane systems that are all also, also driven by um, profit motive. And that's ultimately why we see, you know, such horrible conditions uh, on labor and environmental issues. It's not like that in other countries. You know, it's if you look at Germany, if you look at France, they're not uh, emitting nearly as much uh, uh, greenhouse gas from their food systems because they're doing it through more sustainable ways. And that's one of the things that's really part of this Green New Deal proposal that's been talked about is transforming the food system so that, you know, the how you transport 
how you grow the the food, you know, the, the you know, how you make the bread, the chicken, all the different elements of it. That does not have to be as it is now, such a cruel and inhumane system that could be transformed as well. And, you know, when if we have people that don't have to work these insane hours to, you know, pay their bills to get health care, we could have we could have people, you know, have more freedom to, for one, have the working people that are making these chicken sandwiches actually enjoy them so that they can, you know, afford to go out and buy one, but also to take cooking classes or to, you know, have time to focus on education and other things where they could, you know, be more creative and uh, actually, you know, benefit society rather than feeling like they're just cogs in a machine that's, you know, ultimately screwing them over through Mm -hmm. how the current system is set up. And one of the things that uh, uh, Bernie Sanders uh, was talking about when he was on on Joe Rogan's interview about a week ago, which I found a hugely um, influential uh, right now, as you know, I'm sort of leaning Bernie in my, I'm always going I thought you were going to say you were leaning Rogan's. Uh, no, Rod, I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan. Uh, it's a good interview. Uh, yeah, he's a very good interviewer. I don't agree with him on his politics, but I think he's a very good interviewer. He lets people talk and he yeah. listens to what they say. Uh, and he did a great job with Bernie Sanders. And, and Bernie Sanders, uh, I urge everybody to check out. I mean, like Joe Rogan needs more people to listen to him. He's the number one podcaster in America. But what Bernie Sanders said, and he's he, this is the message he's been driving miles for about the last month. It's like, it's beyond me. It, it's going to take a movement. And I, I listen to what you're talking about. And one of the obvious solutions or one of the obvious uh, first steps you could take to make life uh, more bearable for someone who has a fast food job is to come up with a uh, an expanded healthcare plan. So their healthcare needs uh, are spent and it's not coming out of their wages, which is generally the model that most uh, employer paid uh, healthcare plans have. Uh, And uh, they're not paying for it out of pocket, huge expenses for inadequate healthcare. And yet I don't see any evidence whatsoever that the leaders of these corporations whose workers would benefit from a healthcare plan are joining the movement for healthcare. Just the opposite. We have the Republican Party fighting to kill what little healthcare we have with the Obamacare with a lawsuit that's coming out of Texas, which has been joined by the Trump administration. So it's like this would be essentially a benefit for the Popeyes of the world. Follow me on this one. If the Popeyes of the world didn't have to worry about the health care needs of their employees, if I, you had I, the government I, picking I, up. I agree. The The problem is that right now they're, they already don't take care of those, those needs because, you know, less than, uh, you know, just over 10% of the people in uh, the, their jobs have employer-sponsored health care and fast food. So it's not as if they're they're doing that. Also, I mean, a lot of these executives are have their money invested in the same pharmaceutical companies and the <laughs> health industry that's making massive profits off of the current system. So even though their employees would benefit maybe from ba- from them getting behind a, a universal health care system, their personal stock portfolios would suffer. And I think that that has a big uh, impact on why they are aligned with the kind of folks that would rather see us scrounge for Man, scraps there's tons you know? of stocks out there you can buy if one goes down you buy it i know but it's you know oh, the health insurance industry is one of the most profitable in um in the country wow. and it doesn't exist in a lot of other countries at least yeah. not to the extent so it's kind of a uniquely american way to um make money that you know are you really making money as are just fictitious capital you know sloshing around but you know people can increase their value and their net worth and their profits by um with uh, withholding health care from people 
people. And I think that that's the real incentive that needs to be changed. And that's why when people talk about Medicare for all, they talk about taking on the insurance industry because they're not going to, you know, give it away because there's a huge economic incentive. The, in Canada, you don't pay a dime for healthcare. You know, you talked about out-of-pocket costs. The most you're paying for is when you pay for parking in the parking lot. You know, yeah. you go into the doctor's office, you don't, you don't have to pay a dime. And that's so different from our lived experience here. You know, the only place you could do that here is going to Stroger, you know, and look at the conditions there. It's not right. We should be investing in places that provide, uh, uh, healthcare free at the point of service. All right. Uh, well, I urge everybody to check it out because it is a very interesting argument. I had not seen this raised uh, before uh, directly aligned with the Popeye's uh, chicken sandwich explosion, but it's an argument that could be made across the board. Uh, somehow or other, the fast food m- model, if they have success, the people who are responsible for the success don't share in the model. It'd be like if the NFL, the National Football League, would suddenly just start cutting salaries of its employees as ratings went up. Yeah. You know, Tom Brady, you're going to have to take a pay cut this yeah. year. You're not going to get health care because uh, I need the owner. What's his name? Kraft needs more money. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, uh, there already is extremely unequal in the in the professional sports world, but there at least are, you know, the employees are generally well paid. Well, and, and, and I will say this. They have a union. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's every major sports French uh, league has a union. Yeah, that's another thing I talk about. So, I mean, the the core of why I wanted to write this article is because I think that it's important for people to understand that, you know, life is meant to be uh, enjoyed and we should have the freedom to, you know, pursue our different goals and to take advantage of the indulgences of life, some of which are a chicken sandwich. But the way to do that is by um, doing the type of, uh, you know, providing more freedom. And one of the ways you can do that is through unionization. Um, and providing the the right to unionize without intimidation, without any fear of you know backlash from your employer, um, would give you the right to collectively bargain with your employer. That exists in a few you know it's not major fast food franchises, but a few different um, uh, fast food companies do have employees unionized. By and large, the American fast food industry has been able to evade that through these very intimidation techniques that keep their workers, as I said, scrounging for scraps. So when I talk about it in terms of socialism about what you know this is what under a, so, um, a more socialist uh, vision of american society and politics we could expect to see and an important part of that is collective worker power and that's what is going to give them more freedom in their lives ask any union worker they're you know they're better off all right uh, and i keep talking about you being a, a writer for in these times but in fact this article whose virtues i'm extolling mm-hmm. uh is in a different publication yeah, it is it's in jacobin, jacobin. Um, which is another uh, great publication i occasionally um Right for the, the article is called a Popeye's chicken sandwich under socialism. So All right. Please and, check uh, it out. Uh, I have to uh, get to our Joe Biden discussion. Yep. I don't know if we'll have time for Lori Lightfoot in part because my two thirty guest Sergio uh, Mims has entered the room and I'd love to hear. I want him to hear this discussion because I'm sure he will have some thoughts about Joe Biden. Uh, I talked about this already or at the outset of the show about whether the concerns uh, raised by some Democratic voters and the, uh, of course, the, the delight that right wingers are having, uh, like Brit Hume, et cetera, in co- wondering about uh, Joe Biden's mental state. Yeah. Uh, the other day, he confused Vermont and New Hampshire. Uh, I'm not really freaking out over that. I myself could easily mm-hmm. <laughs> confuse one for the other. But uh, I think I, I can't remember whether he was in New Hampshire and he said he was in Vermont or whether he was in Vermont. And he said he was in New Hampshire. Uh, but the point is, there's concern about uh, Joe Biden's uh, mental state. I 
Uh, you, uh, in these times, just ran an article that was a little more concerned uh, about his uh, political positions on most issues. So talk about, are you feeling concerned about Joe Biden these days? He's still the front runner in the uh, polls. He is. There was the uh, mammoth poll that came out this past week also that did show him actually trailing both Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. That granted is still an outlier, and yeah, because the next day there are two boom boom exactly. polls that came right out, and he was up ahead. I think he was up by ten points. Yeah, so yeah, so I mean, I think that the dynamic of the race is still, um, you know, ostensibly that those are the three top front runners, and Joe Biden is leading the pack, and you know, he's he was the vice president for the most popular you know, president in our lifetimes that is still very beloved by the Democratic electorate, Barack Obama. And what uh, is very interesting that came out, you know, you mentioned concerns about his mental health. His staff has come out and said that they are limiting his public events um, across the board because of these verbal stumbles, they say. But they also said that they're not having that they often tend to come at the end of the day. So they're not having him do uh, any public events speaking later in the day. Um, that is, I think that that is concerning when you have, you know, you, we've got to have a candidate who can go up against Donald Trump. If you're not, you know, you can't speak publicly towards the end of the day, that's maybe not the best, you know, position to be in when you're uh, running for the Democratic nomination. But beyond that, I'm, I think the more concerning thing is his um, past political views and how they will hold up uh, in 2019, trying to uh, win an election in 2020. The piece that we ran it in these times, um, is called Joe Biden and the Perils of Bipartisanship. Yeah. So it's really focused on um, interrogating this question that Joe Biden has said is one of the foundations of his campaign that we can return to an era of bipartisanship and that that's what he represents. Um, and, you know, he cites d different examples. But when we look at his um, record, we see the vast majority of these bipartisan deals, pretty much all of the ones that were, you know, that he's well known for were disaster for progressive policies. I mean, he started uh, once he got into the Senate working with people like Jesse Helms and Strom Thurmond, some of the most um, racist people to ever occupy the United States Senate, um, working with them on fighting busing, which is something, you know, he was talked about uh, during the debate with Kamala Harris. Uh, he went on to push for really racist crack cocaine sentencing guidelines, mandatory minimums, things like that involving criminal justice. Again, he helped shepherd through the crime bill in 94. Uh, but what a lot of people don't know is he's been working, he's worked for a long time on um, pushing forward uh, budget reform and cutting the deficit. This is a real concern right now, I think, when we are seeing you know fears of a recession, right? People are talking, oh, the, a recession is coming. That could have a big impact on whether Trump gets reelected or not if the economy takes a real dip. And considering Trump's you know blatant trade war with China and mm -hmm. just insane approach to uh, economics, I think it's fair to expect we'll see some type of uh, economic calamity. But what Joe Biden has done is pushed austerity, which means cutting social programs multiple times. In um, 94, he pushed forward, um, and actually in 1984, he originally pushed forward a bill um, during Ronald Reagan's presidency that would just cut the deficit $100 billion more even than Reagan had yeah. proposed. And that was would be done through cutting entitlements like Social Security and Medicare. He went back and did the, a similar thing in 2011 when he was pushing for this grand bargain deal. People might remember this under Obama. Obama actually 
actually dispatched Biden to work with McConnell and the yes. crazy anti-tax zealots that occupied kind of the Tea Party wing of the of Republican Party to strike a deal. The deal that they eventually struck, which got it failed because of the Tea Party said no way it wasn't didn't go hard enough for them. They acquiesced to every single Republican demand from cutting Medicare to cutting Social Security. Earlier in 2010, he did reach a deal with McConnell on extending the Bush tax cuts, which also cut the estate tax. Um, and that bill uh, was that's the reason Bernie Sanders did that eight hour filibuster. Even people like Dianne Feinstein, certainly not the most progressive uh, Democrat in the Senate, railed against it and said, we just gave everything away. That was Joe Biden. He yeah. was the one who did that. So I think we can expect to see more things like that if Joe Biden would. Well, I think the, uh, the, uh, the theme of the article, what I would call it, the, the sucker politics, where the Democrats constantly move right. And it's, it was, it's a very powerful uh, mess, uh, theme, and I urge people to read this article as well. I can't remember the writer's name. Bronco uh, Marsatich. So he's a, um, a great writer. He's an investigative fellow for In These Times. And yeah. he did a real deep dive. There's a lot of stuff in there that hasn't been reported before. And the reason I brought up Obama earlier because, you know, if you saw recently, there was a New York Times came out and said Obama had actually cautioned Obama, uh, cautioned Biden not to run this time, much like he did well, last time. Uh, if he cautioned him, he made it very quiet because a lot of Obama's uh, supporters are picking up on a vibe that somehow or other vote for Joe Biden is a vote for Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he's ahead of the poll. We'll hear what Sergio Mims has to say that about that in a half hour or so. But before he comes on, we'll have Kim Ortiz, uh, our union activist for the day, will be on with us real soon. Miles, thank you so much for uh, coming in. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. uh, Thank you, Dee. We'll see you next week, next Thursday. And we're going to take a break and bring on Kim Ortiz after this. Thanks. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. It's nice to have you here. Certainly a change from the old days. You personally shut down all Democrats from talking to me on the Colbert Report because you thought it was a bad idea for them to talk to me just because I would make jokes about them. (laughs) Sir, have you no decency? It's not a career builder. (laughs) (laughs) Why, is your career over now? Is that why you're No, I was talking about them. Okay. (laughs) Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for, um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And, uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you, um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on 
sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, uh, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and and our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor, big thank you to all of those people for bringing back our program. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show starts right now. It is Thursday, August 29th, and live from the Chicago Sun Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky show. In this hour of the program, it's Kim Ortiz of the Operating Engineers Local 150, and it's the return of the director of the Black Harvest Film Festival, the one, the only, Sergio Mims. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Kim Ortiz is in the studio. She's sitting right across from me. We'll bring her on real soon. You got an update for me, D? Yep, we got some updates here, some 2020 presidential candidate updates. First up... Well, well, let me turn the page here. There we go. Oh, we didn't mention, we didn't talk about this yesterday. Uh, 2020 presidential candidate, now former 2020 candidate, Kristen Gillibrand is out of the race. Oh, yeah. she. Uh, I, I read the article. Yep. She uh, dropped out of the race it was yesterday, I think. Yep. You're absolutely right. We talked about a lot of other things. Uh, she could not get the traction she needed. She was hurt, by the way, ironically, in my humble opinion, uh, by the stance she took uh, regarding Al Franken. She was one of the first senators to say that Al Franken should step down for his sexual uh, misconduct. And uh, eventually, the chorus of people criticizing Franken grew so loud that Franken Franken had to step down, and there are many de- Democratic donors who believe Franken should have stuck around. Now Franken's changed his mind uh, on that tune and saying, oh, I wish I hadn't stepped down. Uh, and so I think she was hurt in terms of donors, people who resented her role in that. I personally agreed with her on that one. I think Al Franken went too far. I think there were eight women who had accusations against him. It's really hard for the Democrats, as I say, D, to make this uh, a, an issue against uh, Donald Trump and Roy Moore uh, and all the other pervs in the uh, Republican Party. Uh, uh, if they're tolerating uh, these acts uh, among their own. So uh, I thought she did the right thing back then. And, and, not, and by the way, I'm not a huge fan for many different reasons of Al Franken, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, the real issue was, did he go too far? And I felt he had, and, she, and ironically, she paid a price for it. So there you are. Kirsten Gillibrand is now out of the race. On to our next 2020 presidential candidate update. So this idea is a bunch of malarkey. (laughs) Grandpa Joe, Joe Biden. This guy cannot catch a break. All right. I'm the only one who defends him anymore. Oh, my goodness. So according to this report here (laughs) from The Guardian, Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden has repeatedly told the story on the campaign trail about the bravery of a Navy captain he met while serving as vice president. But it appears that many of the story's details are false. <laughs> Joe, 
Let's see here. The Washington Post reports Joe Biden painted a vivid scene for the 400 people packed into a college meeting hall. A four-star general had asked the then-vice president to travel to Kanar province in Afghanistan, a dangerous foray into God-forsaken country, to recognize the remarkable heroism of a Navy captain. Some told him it was too risky, but Biden said he brushed off their concerns. Yada, yada. He made a lot of the, the story up. Ah, Joe, Joe, Joe. What am I going to do with you? I, uh, it's just really tough defending Joe Biden. But uh, uh, the reality is uh, he's had, uh, this is not the first time, even w- back in the 80s, he had issues, uh, plagiarism issues, and it was stuff that he took credit for and somebody else took credit for it. So who knows where he got this notion of the story of bravery that he uh, told. I, it's the first time, time I'm hearing about it. But it's just, it's, it's stuff keeps piling on D and yet he's still number one in the polls. It's almost like the the democratic version of Trump. All this evidence would be mounting during the election cycle about how Trump is a terrible candidate. He can't possibly win. Republican voters kept supporting him. And uh, I thought after that last poll where Biden was down to tw- uh, 19% was trailing Bernie and Sanders, excuse me, Bernie and, Sa- Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I said, well, that's it. That's the the beginning of the end for Joe Biden. Boom. Two more polls come up. He's up 10 percentage points. I think the Democratic Party is saying they don't care. They don't care what he does, D. He's their guy. And our final 2020 presidential candidate update. ABC has confirmed that the next debate that they're going to be holding will be held to one night. Yeah, one night. No more two-night debates here. ABC was hosting the next Democratic debate, confirmed it'll be one night, and it's going to be September 12th in Houston, Texas. Yeah, September 12th. We'll have a lot of discussion of that, and I believe uh, one of the candidates who made the debate and will be eligible uh, to debate is Sergio Mims of the Black Harvest Film oh. Festival. Uh, so, Sergio will be part of the, the on stage. Where's it going to be, D? Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Houston. Uh, yeah, Archie Bell and the Durrells from Houston, Texas. Anyway, uh, thank you very much for that update. Kim Ortiz, from Operating Engineers Local 150. Welcome back to the show, Kim. It's been a while. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's been a few months. It's been a few months. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's been a, a, a few months. Tell folks, before we uh, take the deep dive and sort of uh, talk about what uh, the union's been up to, uh, I was. I know there's a lot of uh, specific points you want to make, but uh, sort of to take the opportunity to reintroduce yourself to everybody. Um, how, first of all, you're from Chicago originally, correct? No, I'm actually from Houston. Uh, I was I was born in Houston, lived there uh, first few years of my life, then moved to Chicago when I was about seven years old. Um, so I, my my dad's been a union man my whole life. I was raised in that mindset, and it was interesting growing up in in Houston and my dad being a union guy and um, living in what I know now was a right to work state. Um, and so like by nine years old, I, I knew what NAFTA was, and like I could never have the cool shoes in school because we'd always have to buy like union made, American made everything. Um, and and I was raised well in that sense. Um, so then by the time I came to Chicago um, and moved to Logan Square. Um, it was just a very working class neighborhood at the time. And uh, I, I was just always raised with those values. And so I, when I went to school, um, I knew I always wanted to do something where I could give back to um, the things that I was passionate about, like um, workers' rights and housing rights and I ended up seeing, I went to school for public relations at DePaul and ended up seeing that the operating engineers was hiring for a communications position. And um, 
I guess just dumb luck. I didn't know who the operating engineers were at the time, and I didn't realize um, how influential they were and how much um, they were fighting back for for workers in Illinois. And um, when I told my dad that I, I was hired there, he was just like elated that his daughter was going into a union position. So um, it's it's been really exciting. I've been there three years now, and um, just to see all of the all of the feet on the ground and all of the passion for for workers' rights and defending the little guy um, it, when it comes to safety, when it comes to wages, when it comes to just taking care of of things that politicians have um, neglected for so many years, like um, with the Capitol bill, it's it's exciting for me to to be able to put those those passions to work and um, be like on the front lines of the people protecting workers here in Illinois. When you talked about your father's in a role in the labor movement, was he uh, a labor leader, a labor activist, or a rank-and-file member? Oh, rank-and-file member. Um, but he read his contract from front flap to back flap and um, just really believed in the labor movement and was always paying attention to what leadership was doing, going to his union meetings, um, and paying attention to what was happening nationally that was affecting the labor movement as well. So I think he kind of made me always pay attention to that stuff as well. Um, and so that's that's always been something that um, it's it's always been happening uh, without people really noticing how, how much like uh, Davis Bacon impacts our wages and and how much NAFTA affected um, a lot of jobs that were bringing providing so much security here in Chicago and and how those jobs slowly disappeared and um, I think most people don't um, have the time to follow all of the ways that um, these laws are slowly getting passed and slowly happening through municipalities. And um, it's it's unions like Local 150 that are paying attention to every single thing that's going through the courts and, and, and fighting back. Uh, we I don't know if you were here and we, we were talking about the fast food workers uh, in the last segment. We we're talking with Miles about the fast food workers uh, and uh, the um, the fact that they're working at Popeye's. The sandwich is exploding in popularity. It's it's very successful. And yet they're not getting a, a raise. They're not getting health care, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, do you think that the general population is sympathetic uh, to, to workers like that? Or uh, do you think? Do you think that the unions have to do a, a better job of sort of like getting people to recognize uh, the, the, the unfair issue that's at stake there? Yeah, I think that um, I I was lucky enough to grow up in a household where I understood um, what was happening uh, to, to workers and the forces that were working against them as far as organizing for better wages and better um, safety at work. But I think that that's that's a big part of what we're trying to do now is build this this brand that other um, people my age have not grown up with and haven't seen. And so I think that when we look at, or I know that when we look at studies, we see that the the younger uh, the demographic, the higher um, higher favorability they have for unions and the the higher the chances that they um, are okay with unions forming and understand as long as we give them the even the bare minimum of explaining what a union is and what a union provides um, millennials get it and we understand that so I think that that people do have sympathy for workers I mean especially here in Illinois and in Chicago um, but I think that the younger and younger um, the younger and younger we we look um, at demographics, there there is more 
inclination to having sympathy for workers. Did you and have, so, did you sense that with your classmates at DePaul? For instance, when you started telling your friends you were going to get a job with the union, what was their attitude? Yeah. Um, it's a lot of me explaining what a union is. So even in Chicago, uh, a lot of people don't understand, uh, what the importance of a contract is and, um, how we go about protecting our wages from year to year by taking surveys and making sure that um, wages stay prevailing wages. And um, I think that that there's not that education in schools. And um, there's certainly, I'm sure, like a reason for that. But um, there are a lot of people who, once they hear about it, they get it and they're like, yes. And it takes like a five minute conversation to educate people and they, and they support uh, the labor movement and they get it. Um, and I think that we see that with this like new wave of strikes and protests happening across the nation. I, I think that when this comes out in the news, I mean, when we share things on our social media and we see people commenting from areas not in Illinois, um, it's, it seems like overwhelmingly there's nothing but support. What was the, some of the initiatives that you're working on? I was thinking, I was just talking to you about this, uh, uh, the Bud, Bud Billigan Day Parade and uh, the Navy SEALs. Talk about that. Yeah, so some of the ways that we're trying to um, build that recognition that unions are we're more than um, just protecting our members. We're we're constantly paying attention, and we know that people are are looking for a movement. They're desperate for a leader, and unions can fill that gap, and we can show that in more ways than just protecting wages and fighting for bills uh, to pass in Springfield. But um, we've gone out and. We had the uh, a fundraiser for the Seal Family Foundation, which um, raises money for all of the families who have people um, overseas, and we they give them the support that they need. Um, we raised nine hundred thousand dollars for them a few weeks ago, and that brings us to a total of, of two point two million over the past few years. And um, President Sweeney was a part of, or he is a part of the Sun-Times board, and they started a program at the Sun-Times where um, they would forward letters to Santa from children um, in neighborhoods that um, were seeking uh, uh, Christmas gifts. And he got a letter from a child, and the only thing on her Christmas list was school supplies. And that really that really struck him. and. Um, it made us think there's got to be a more creative way we can give back to the neighborhoods where these letters are coming from. And so um, when we saw that there was an opportunity to join the Bud Billiken Parade, we brought an entire dump truck full of school supplies and um, we passed them out in 150 bags because um, there was, that's a, a celebration that is, is just beautiful historic um parade on the south side and we saw it as a as a great way to not only give back um and provide the school supplies that that parade is um is trying to is there to make sure kids are going back to to school and reminded that um they have they have a community worth of resources um and of people that support them in going back to school but also that um, if at some point they realize that we exist, um, 
we have opportunities for them as well and we'd, we'd love to be a resource for them so um it, it was twofold in that sense but we, we you know we have cult drives um that we do every winter we have um our operators our own like rank and file members like you mentioned earlier that they go out and when a tornado hits they're out there um volunteering picking up debris with their machines and um when there was flooding in in the quad cities they were out there filling sandbags so i think it's really like a, to use the term, like trickle down effect. I mean, our, our leadership has really made it a point to give back in any way we can. And our members are doing the same thing. And um, we're trying to, to lead the way um, in that sense. And I know Ed had mentioned there's a, this term that they used to describe union guys as like union thugs. Yeah. Uh, and he mentioned that That's it was like one of his favorite themes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I believe, what was the acronym he used? Those helpful union guys? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People don't think about it that way uh, right. generally, though, uh, when they talk about union thugs. No. Uh, I, I had a, a friend who was a teacher's, uh, he worked for the teacher's union many years ago, and he had this little button that goes, proud union thug, and he would be wearing that. I'm even not sure that was legal, because he would wear <laughs> that button when he would be going into the schools to uh, talk to the teachers, but he was a defiant sort, so he, <laughs> he kind of got away with it. Uh, will you be participating in uh, Sadlowski Garza, Alderman South Lawson Gardens is Southside Labor Day Parade. You know about that? Yeah, um, I do plan to, to go for a bit. It's um, I'm Puerto Rican and we have Fiesta Boricua this weekend. So I'll be like switching out my time. But um, yeah, I know she's got a huge event plan. So I'd love to, that would be my first time going down there for that. So I'd love to see it. Yeah. That uh, uh, parade is growing every year. Yeah. And uh, the, I think it's, um, I, I, should ha- I should know the exact date because uh, uh, we're supposed to be participating paid it participating in that as well. I oh, it's the it, Saturday. It's a Saturday, yeah. but yeah, slipped my mm-hmm. mind. Uh, Kim Ortiz, I want to thank you very much uh, for uh, coming here. So if folks want to get in touch with you in any way, uh, for pass on information and hear about what you're up to, how can they do so? Um, for Local 150, it's at Local 150 I-U-O-E on Facebook and at Local 150 on Twitter. Um, and for myself, I honestly don't even know my Twitter handle. I should know that. I don't use it often enough. You're millennial. <laughs> Isn't that stuff like branded on you? I'm too busy running a uh, local 150 stuff. I'm not even thinking about my, I really should get on that. Uh, very good. That's good enough. Kim Ortiz, thank you so much for coming on. We got Sergio Mims sitting on deck. We'll bring him on when we return. Hey everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. 
All right, people, it's almost football season, which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago at the Chicago Sun-Times want to offer you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Do not miss a game this season. Get all the big plays, scores, and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet. That's why ET yet. Only $29.99 for a full year of all the news and sports that you need to know. Stay up to date on breaking stories. Get the deep dives and investigations from sometimes reporters like Fran the Woman Spielman. And go deep inside City Hall with best-in-class political reporting. And, of course, cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city. $29.99 for a full year. $29.99, I say, of unlimited access. You cannot do Better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Sergio Mims from the Black Harvest Film Festival is with us. Before I turn my attention to him, you got an update for us, Dave? Absolutely, I do. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> Don't say anything bad, this Sergio. This guy's been hustling. <laughs> okay. This guy has been hustling, signing legislation. I'll tell you this. If I need someone to take out my toilets, I know where to go. Oh, hey, now. Well, it's, it's been a while since we had a... J.B. Pritzker toilet joke. Well, now we need to be a little sensitive now because, as we know, this guy's been... And I've been worried about J.B. Pritzker going day to day, hustling back and forth, signing this bill, flying to Nashville, and coming back and cutting ribbons and hanging out with the butter cow. Well, it's finally caught up to him. Sneed, that damn Sneed, gets all the exclusives. Sneed has learned that J.B. Pritzker has fractured his leg. What? When is that? Sneed has learned Governor J.B. Pritzker has a hairline fracture to his left femur. The upshot, he is under doctor's orders to rest and recover for the next four to six weeks. Bring the bills over to my bed. (laughs) He's going to be signing bills while in bed because you know he's not going to stop that. Sneed uh, is also told that the governor who does not know how the fracture occurred is in good spirits and will find it difficult to take it easy. Well, let's speculate. How the hell did he do that? Uh, he was he was fighting that Confederate band that was coming to the Illinois Confederate State. Confederate Railroad. Yeah, remember right. just keeping him off the stage. Ha, get away. All right, Sergio, what do you say? How do you, how do you hurt his leg? My gosh, it could be any myriad of ways. Um, maybe he got trampled by people. Um, make, uh, got trampled by people rushing to get that new legal marijuana. I don't know what happened. I, I thought he was sure going to say a toilet fell yeah, on his a leg. Toilet. That's what I thought he was no. going to say. I say football. He was, he was having a little fun. Football season's on the way. He's, he's heard that Chicago Sun-Times bit, and he was like, ah, you know, i got to go play some football. He's throwing the pigskin around. Yeah. And, really? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just made that. I didn't even know he broke his leg until I heard that story. And, uh, well, uh, get well soon, uh, Governor Pritzker. Governor Pritzker got a big shout-out yesterday. Brandon Johnson was on the show from the Chicago Teachers Union, Cook County uh, Board Commissioner. And uh, he was, in his estimation, was saying that Governor Pritzker has been more progressive than Lori Lightfoot. And the Chicago Teachers Union is gearing up for a fight with Lori Lightfoot. And uh, and he said, isn't that ironic that the billionaire governor is more progressive than the mayor? Well, I got to tell you something. I had to go on a grade scale mm-hmm. so far. Yeah. I'll get Pritzker an A. 
think he's done some pretty great stuff. And you As, were not a Pritzker supporter. Yes, That's why I was well, teasing. No, yeah, yes, I was. I, against I, Rauner you were. But did you vote for him the general? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, wait, wait, wait. I got that mixed up. I'm having a Joe Biden day. I, again, in the general against Biden, you voted for him. But in the primary, did you vote for him? Or do you even remember yeah, who you voted yeah, for? Yeah, I voted for Pritzker. Okay, all right. Well, then. Um, in terms of Lori Lightfoot, I'll give her right now a C. But that's better it's than Rom. Kind of yes, very right. kind of you, as of what we've been seeing. I, I you know, it's better than Rom. I, I, oh, it's better than Rom. I gave her an A for not being Rom. Okay, no. that you, I, an A for not being Rom. Mm-hmm. An A for I gave her an A for uh, throwing Ed Burke out of power. No, oh, that's true. Uh, yeah. So there's two A's right there. But I'm still not happy with that Lincoln Yards deal. Oh, absolutely. And and I, yeah, I, I haven't more, read your piece yet. Yeah. I do have it in my briefcase. Okay. And I have more but, details on Pritzker here before uh, we move on. For those who may be worried, oh no, uh, it says here uh, Pritzker's leg was injured some time ago, but it became significantly worse in recent weeks while he was attending public events like the Illinois State Fair, home of the 2019. Illinois State Fair butter cow standing for long periods of time and walking distances at the events didn't help. The governor has also been told that his injury will not require surgery. Oh, that's good. I will tell you this uh, from experience. Boy, I know from experience when something goes wrong, don't wait. Take care of it. (laughs) Take care of it. I learned a hard way from experience. Yeah. If something's wrong, Deal with it immediately. Nip it at the bud. All yeah. Right. All right. Uh, Sergio, as everybody knows, he comes in the show, is very opinionated when it comes to politics, local politics, national politics, etc. We're going to get to that. But let's talk a little bit about the Black Harvest Film Festival. Uh, I'll be going there tonight. I believe Monroe Anderson will be going Monroe there tonight. Monroe will be there. Friends uh, of mine will be there. It's um, We're doing, this is the 25th anniversary, and we're doing the 25th anniversary screen of Crooklyn, mm-hmm. Spike Lee's movie, which was co-written by his sister, Joie Lee who will be there in person, along with Zelda Harris, who played the lead in the film, who was nine years old at the time. Yeah. I met her last night. She's slightly taller than me. Yeah. She's 34. 30. Wow. Wow. She went to Princeton. Not people don't know is that. She, I do not know. Is she still acting? She's a musician now, musician-singer, musician based in Los Angeles. I see. Uh, we'll be do, I'll be doing a Q&A with them after the movie, and we're going to have a really great reception afterwards. And I am beat. I mean, you know, the festival started a month ago, and uh, tonight's closing night, and uh, I'm taking a long rest. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been to every single... Oh, no, 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 no. It still killed me, though. Yeah. But it still was a lot. Now, let me tell you a story. Okay. Last week, uh, I had to do a, um, you know, a, a Q&A, moderate, you know, a film screening. So I decided, well, I'll take the green line home. And oh, that means I take the green, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, wait, 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 wait before we get to this story, okay. which will get us to something, because this, this is how I, yeah, before we get to this story, let right. me just finish up. Uh, it's one of my favorite things that the Black Harvest Film Festival does. I guess all film festivals do this, but I love it when they did. So they, they pay tribute to a quote-unquote older movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, you look for some kind of special anniversary. Right. So at the, the 20th, 25th 20th, anniversary. Yeah, the 20th anniversary is not good enough. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, I'm always trying to, I'm encouraging certain movies uh, for Sergio to, to uh, celebrate and f- in this particular one, this is one of my favorite movies, Crooklyn. Mm-hmm. It's a coming of age story. We showed it in thirty five. 
We got a 35 millimeter wow. print. Okay, you know, and that, that's a whole other issue. We discussed this, uh, I think, uh, when we were talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is, of course, I'm capable of dropping everything and having a conversation about that at moment's notice. But whether that was that much significant uh, to, to see that in 35. But anyway, but I just don't want to lose uh, sight of the fact uh, that I love it when you guys do this and then you bring back like a director or in this case a writer mm-hmm. to discuss the movie and, and what the they star, went the, and lead the, star uh, the lead actress. So it's a lot of fun, but it's sold out. Mm-hmm. So here we can't even. Since last week. Yeah, it's sold out. So I'm really happy I got a ticket. But you never know. There may be, some people may not show up. Uh, that is a possibility. Uh, so anyway, all right. So let's go back to your story now. Uh, we've done promoting Black Harvest Film Festival, my favorite film festival. I'll be there tonight. Let's uh, at the Gene Siskel Theater, I might add, right. right across the street from the Chicago Theater and State Street. Okay, there we go. Okay, State so I said to go home. Uh-huh. I take the Green Line. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll get off at the 51st Street stop station and take the number 15 east to High Park. Get off, go to my house. Okay. So the train, this is maybe around 8.30. Okay, 8.30 on a, uh, I believe it was a... W- was it Wednesday? Maybe it was. Uh, but Last I think week. it was Tuesday. Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it passes by the 47th Street stop. You know where I'm going Yeah, with I this. know exactly where you were. I knew where you were going when you started. That's <laughs> right? why I said, hold on. And, and, Go ahead. And on the other side of 47th Street stop, where the train's going north, there were all these white people <laughs> on the station. Everybody in the car go, what the hell is going on? Yeah, you see white people, right, on, you know, the green line. Yeah. But I've never seen that many. And what the hell went on over here? Yeah. You you know, at first I thought it was coming from a Sox game. I said, no, they'd be on 35th. Yeah. I said, what's going on, right? Wait, and, so you were in the green line. Yeah, green line. You were green line, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't until literally the next day that I find out that Pete Buttigieg had this thing at the Harold Washington Center on 47 King Drive. And, and, and it would. Go ahead. There dude. were no black people yeah. there, right? Here's the thing. No one knew about it. They didn't promote it in the community at all. Yeah. You know, that area is very vibrant. You know, you have a lot of stores, businesses that's been going on for years. You have homes, you have condos, you have houses. Even people across the street didn't know this was happening. Yeah. So then he goes up there at, at the uh, at this event and complains that, gee, this is a shame. No black people are here. Well, you didn't tell us. <laughs> No, I mean, there were, there's so much to talk about in this one little. I element. live near there, yeah. you know. I. At, but I, uh, you put this, this. I gave you a shout out already for this because you put it on my Facebook wall. Uh, the, the, the little story about it. That's how I knew where you were going when you started right. the story. You were on the Green Line and you were at 47th Street and you looked across and all these white people. Where are all the white people from? What are they doing down here? Uh, Chicago is such a segregated city that if you see a bunch of white people at 47th Street Green Line Station, you're going, what's going on? Right. Uh, and uh, our city, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, anyway, uh, yes, indeed, they were returning north from the Pete Buttigieg, um, I was going to say concert, but rally. It was a rally. It was, it was really more like a fundraising thing. Yeah, right? at the uh, Harold Washington Cultural Center mm-hmm. uh, at King Drive. And, uh, yeah, it. Pete Buttigieg is, how do I put this, uh, Sergio? Pete Buttigieg represents, sort of, in so many ways, what I feel is like a disconnect in the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Um, 
He is clearly uh, an intelligent man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's articulate man. Mm-hmm. He's a gifted speaker. Uh, he talks a good game. Uh, and as a result, and he has a look that he's just emanating. You know, he has a, his own look. And as a result, um, well-to-do people who support the Democratic Party love him, and they're pouring money into his campaign. Well, you see, that's his great fault, flaw. Yeah. One of his great flaws. I should say that if there's only one thing that Trump has said that I agree with, the only thing, yeah. is when he said he looked like Alfred E. Newman. Okay. And I said, yeah. he does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I knew he looked like somebody. Yeah, he does, has a, a little look. Yeah, the Alfred E. Newman for Mad Mag. And when Trump said that, most most millennials did. Like, Buttigieg made a joke about it. You know, I never even heard it. He made a joke. It's like he's making fun of old people. But, but, but um, the disconnect is that none of that is hooked up with the base of the Democratic Party and particularly black voters. Well, you see, you hit it, right? Because there's all this talk of how come he's not attracting black voters, all right? And my theory is that they look at him and they just see another privileged white guy who had it made all his life, you know? And, of course, it's because of you, (laughs) And when you had Stacey Gates' brother oh, on, Henry Davis, yeah, Henry yeah. Davis talked about the real Buttigieg and his relationship with the black community in South Bend. Yeah. And I, until he said that on that show, yeah. I'm sure you can still hear it. Yes, right? you can. Yes. Um, it's still, it's very much still being listened to, I should right. tell you. It's one of it opened my shows. eyes. Yeah. It opened the eyes of a lot of people. Yeah. But, right, it's, it's this overprivileged, you know, he's perfect. He can speak seven languages, and he learned Norwegian on his own. You know, he's a concert pianist. He's a, an Afghanistan war veteran. Yeah. Uh, um, he, what else can he do? He can walk on water. Yeah. You know, he made the ties go back. I mean, it's every... <laughs> I don't go, like, come on. Yeah. This guy is for real or what? But it's like he... If you read his biography, it's like, have you ever struggled have you ever known difficulty in your life? You can say the same thing about Trump. Yeah. You know, have you known difficulty in your life? Have you ever struggled? So, um, and I think that's the disconnect he has, not just with black voters, but with a lot of people who say, you know, we're tired of these overprivileged white guys who had everything more or less given to them. The gay thing to me doesn't matter. Now, I will tell you uh-huh. that there are some people, you have to admit, there are people for them that's a big problem. I, I- Okay, this is one of my favorite topics, and I get to this argument and debate with many of my guests. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that is one of the most exaggerated uh, uh, factors that are attributed to the black community. I've no, seen. no, no, I'm not talking about the black community. I'm oh. just talking in general. Oh, okay, I thought you meant in the black community. No, 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 reason, no, no, Because no, I've no. never seen any evidence no. uh, in any election where the black community, black voters in Chicago, I'm just sticking to Chicago City, I know very well, right. voted, uh, punished somebody for being pro-gay. No, 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 no. Never no, seen no. any evidence No, no, of that. I'm talking in general. Okay. I'm talking about in general. Yeah. I can see some very conservative areas. You know, he should not get any Mike Pence's vote. But <laughs> and that's his uh, uh, his fellow Hoosierman. Yeah, right. Yeah, but um, it is a factor with some people. Okay, regardless of that, he he is not he is connecting with people like him. He is not connecting with the masses. Yeah. going to Biden. 
Biden is what's that old expression? You get you got to dance with the person who brought you. Yeah. And of the three, because there are three really right now. There's Biden, Warren, and Sanders. And Bernie. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's the less the less riskier one. He's the one who looks like he could beat Trump. That's the only thing he's got going for him right now at this point. I say you, you talked about it on your, your previous guest. He's got a ton of baggage. But when you compare him, uh, Sanders still scares a lot of people. He's like the old guy you saw screaming at Automat. Yeah. Now, okay, for people who don't understand, the Automat yeah. is, the, well, it was never popular in Chicago, yeah. but in New York, it were the, the, the vending yes. use where you could go and there would be food, a sandwich, yeah. soup, and everything. Yeah. And when I was a kid, yeah. my parents would go to New York yeah. to visit my, some of my mother's relatives, yeah. right? And they would stop at an Automat, yeah. right? And it always was a crazy old guy who looked like Bernie Sanders Who's my tomato soup? <laughs> so, you know. Is that your Bernie Sanders invitation? Uh, no, I, I um, the, the the previous guest that you were alluding to, uh, Miles Conflassen, did a very good, I thought, uh, analysis mm-hmm. of the flaws of Joe Biden's worldview if you take him seriously as a politician, if you take him seriously as a senator. Uh, so he was, uh, Miles was giving a, a very good uh, breakdown, I thought, of, of progressives take on uh, Joe Biden. Right. And I'm listening to him and he was very convincing. I read the article that he was citing, which is a mm-hmm. very convincing article. I urge everybody to read it mm-hmm. from in these times. And I'm thinking this doesn't matter to the Democratic electorate. No. I just just uh, like Trump doesn't matter to the GOP. Right. Yeah. So uh, you look at him and you go like, yes, he's got a ton of baggage. He's got problems. He's been having these senior moments. We know it, even though he's one or two years younger than Trump. I think I have the breakdown. I'll have to look at later. Uh, They're all neck and neck. neck neck, I mean, it's like there. Here we go. Uh, No, I don't have it. I I wrote it down one on one show. But continue your thought. I'll find it. Go ahead. Uh, But, you know, he, as I said before, of the three, he's the less risky choice. He's the guy who conceivably could beat Trump. Because I think Bernie had his shot four years ago. I think four years ago, he easily could have beat Trump. But Hillary put the shiv in him. Okay. Okay. All right, here we go. Let's see if you can pass the uh, challenge. I did I did this before. Okay. Uh, there are four uh, people of the older persuasion uh-huh. uh, running for president uh-huh. right now. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Uh-huh. Uh, take them from oldest to youngest. Who is okay. the oldest? Warren is the youngest. I think she's 70, I believe. Should I say yes if you're right? Um, Bernie's the oldest. Very good. And, oh boy, between Trump... Uh, okay, it's Bernie, Biden, Trump, Warren. Unbelievable. Okay. Do we have some kind of prize to give this guy? No. We have some, uh, but not, not oh, during the show. Uh, the light, Mark Sims was Mark, here. I saw the show. Mark, yes, please. <laughs> Ricky. I won't open it. Thank yeah, you. you. Thank you. I won't open Thank it. you. Oh my gosh. But, uh, you yeah. know, I told Mark, bring something other than, than life savers. No, he brought, and he brought these cookies are unbelievable. They're all gone. Everybody's oh, been eating man. the cookies. I told him, I said, next time you're on the show, <laughs> bring something, bring something else. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure. 
I know that's the conventional wisdom, and uh, I know it's a generational conventional wisdom. I know that many of my friends who are millennial, uh, baby boomers uh, are, are very concerned about Bernie, and the, the way it's been put to me is that this country needs somebody who's just a little uh, less flamboyant, a little quieter, and I think Joe Biden, as they view it, is just normal, uh, whereas Bernie is, is loud. Uh, and I'm not quite sure that is the case anymore. I think that's conventional wisdom born out of things that have been preached to us by the Rahm Emanuel's of the world and the David Axelrods of the world for so long <laughs> that we've just taken them at face value. We don't even uh, really consider that it just didn't work in 2016. Maybe something uh, different should be tried. That said, I think that uh, Joe Biden is remaining a very popular with black voters. Yeah. Uh, and well, th- once again, a lot of it has a, that's something I've been meaning to talk to you about. It's is. um, once the Obama connection, okay? Yeah, obvious, yeah. But once again, like everybody else, black voters are just like anybody else. He's the less riskier choice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, the, the thing I have yeah. is a thing about, when you talked about, um, you always used to talk about uh, Rom. Yeah. And the reason Rom won the first time because he was Obama. He worked for Obama, yes. right? Don't forget, Obama fired him. Okay, I never forgot. Okay. Well, he did. didn't technically fired him. He ushered him <laughs> he out ushered of the wire. But it wasn't that. It was remember who was running at that time for mayor. It was a, uh, it was a collection of clowns, and and uh, Rom came in. And he looked like the guy who would get things done. He was like, um, who's the guy that used to have in New York? Michael Bloomberg. Yeah. We said, boy, can we have a Michael Bloomberg? Yeah. Okay, turned out. Rom was no Michael Bloomberg. He was yeah. no Michael Bloomberg for sure. <laughs> yeah. But that's the way that's the way a lot of people thought. Yeah. He's a guy. It, the bomb is saying help, but it, it wasn't just that. Yeah, but yeah, okay. I thought you were going to go make another point about Joe Biden and black voters. Oh, no, no, no. But it's, it's just like I said, black voters are just like anybody else. He's a less riskier choice. Yeah. Yeah. The Obama thing helps him a lot. Now, once again, not with just black voters, but with a lot of people. Right. And I don't know if you've seen Facebook lately, but uh, a lot of people are. I even watched one today where people are posting old videos of Obama of something he did with a child or something. And people said, boy, remember the day back? <laughs> it was just yeah, a few years know, ago. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it's this Obama nostalgia thing. Yeah. Right. Here's a question for you. OK. Are they going to let Hillary Clinton speak at next year's Democratic convention? I, that's a great question. Because actually the loser never talks, ne- never gets uh, a speech. I'm trying to think if that's the case. Or, or they don't get prime time. You don't get prime, they don't get prime time. I, I can recall uh, George McGovern getting an opportunity to speak at a convention that I attended, the, I think 1980, but he wasn't prime time. Right. Uh, and uh, so I here's the other question. I've, because if they're smart, don't let her do it. Don't talk. let her do it. Here's the other one. Now, uh, in some ways, even bigger challenge, mm-hmm. Bill Clinton. It's two time. No. Dem- I, I agree with you. No. But. But he's spoken at every single convention since he left office, Not I'm pretty time. sure. Not this I time. agree with you. I think you got to cut that cord. He cut it. I mean, they should have cut it a long time ago. Obama's going to get prime time. Michelle Obama's going to get prime time. You watch. Um, wow. And not give Hillary. No, they can't afford it. They can't afford it. I know there'll be people pushing for her, you know, the still devoted Clintonites. Yeah. But if they're smart, you don't want 
anybody to remember the Clintons, which will get back to why I think men have a problem voting for women. All right, women. we're going to hold and that thought. I'm going to talk about we'll, Joe Walsh as well. All right, we'll uh, talk about men voting for women and Joe Walsh when we return. Okay. Why are you the best candidate to heal the racial divide that exists in this country today, which has been stoked by the president's racist rhetoric? Yeah, first of all, the president's racist rhetoric should be enough grounds for everybody in this country to vote him out of office. That one thing alone should be enough. Second, Don. Today's Ben Jaromsky show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian, Hannibal Burris. The real reason I came home is just because I was trying Traveling a lot anyway. I wasn't in New York that much, and I don't have a full-time job in New York. I work a lot, but I'm not in New York, so it was just like I don't, I don't need to be here anymore. And, I, and also, I just wanted to work on different stuff here in Chicago. So I have this center that I'm working on on the West Side, Melvina Masterminds. It's gonna be arts and and then a tech program and after-school programming for uh, kids in the, in the North Austin area. So just wanted to be back. There we go. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. They're located at 6241 North Broadway and people, they are amazing furniture books appliances antiques candles all kinds of stuff here at green element resale in fact i'm looking at the website right now greenelementresale.com they're at 6241 north broadway i'm just going to read some of the books they have here simon says that's one of the books sounds pretty good how about uh radley balco's book rise of the warrior cop and eh, not my cup of tea, but maybe yours. Who knows? Let's see here. So many books. My goodness. Uh, let's see. How to Create Your Own Luck. Oh, I need to, I am going to go buy that book right now. I got to really find out how to create my own luck. I'm broke as hell. I'll go, I'm going to go get, no one else get that book at Green Element Resale. That one's mine. 
right, let's see here. Oh, I see some fans. Oh, looks like we got some uh, TV stands, some entertainment centers. Guys, this place is amazing. It's Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. until 7 p.m. Sunday, 12 p.m. until 7 p.m. Find more at GreenElementResale.com. Once again, do not take that book about creating your own luck. I need it. Good God. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, yes, indeed. We are live. Sergio Mims from the Black Harvest Film Festival is with me. How to Create Your Own Luck, D. Man, I, 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 could, I, I could use that book, too. Although, I don't even know how you could create luck. I mean, that's sort of... That's why we need the book. We don't know how. <laughs> sort of contradicts what luck is all about. All right, uh, Sergio, uh, I've got to act, uh, ask you uh, for your opinion on this. Is Donald Trump losing his marbles or is Donald Trump just uh, lying and just makes stuff up as he goes along? Here we go. Uh, this is from Gail Collins, uh, Gail Collins' column, Today's New York Times. They're talking, uh, Donald Trump was talking about uh, his wife's relationship with North Korean President Kim Jong-un. He said this, quote, the first First lady has gotten to know Kim Jong-un, and I think she'd agree with me. He's a man with a country that has tremendous potential. End of quote. Only problem is Melania Trump has never met Kim Jong-un. Is Donald Trump losing his mind, or does he just make stuff up as he goes along? I think clearly he's suffering from some sort of mental deficiency. You know, he's getting up there. Um... And I think it's pretty obvious at times. Um, it kind of kills me when his defendants have to go on TV and try to explain all the time when he says something completely idiotic or stupid. <laughs> but, um, no, I think it's pretty obvious. Hey, look, remember Reagan during his final years in office? He began to show signs of Alzheimer's. Oh, I listen, it was pretty obvious that this... Uh, this country, uh, there were, some of those signs are being uh, were on display. This is what I'm trying to say. When Reagan defeated Mondale in '84, and the country didn't care, if you recall, and that was the debate where Reagan had a deal. After the, there were three debates. The first debate, Reagan stumbled, mm -hmm. and uh, the question was, "Is Reagan around the bend?" It was like the Joe Biden question, uh, and so the, the, a reporter asked him about that, and he phrased the question, "Are you concerned about age?" and uh, Reagan had this stock response. I will not hold my opponent's right. youthfulness against them. Like, everybody laughed. That's over. Landslide. Right. So I don't think this country any has any problems electing somebody who's heading toward dementia. Uh, <laughs> that's why I'm thinking like all. Uh, well, you go throughout history. You'd yeah. be surprised how many presidents have had all kinds of <laughs> physical problems. That were uh, Wilson suffered a stroke. Yes. Uh, Kennedy was in such bad physical, yes. and not just his, it, he had all kinds of ailments yes. and, and diseases. He was, his back was so bad, yeah. he couldn't walk upstairs. Oh, yeah. He had to use elevators to, to travel around. And then when he had time for all those women, I see, that's know. the amazing that's, thing. He, I don't, it's all the pills he took. By the way, you, you talk about the, the stupid re, uh, defenses that they come up with. Here's the defense of Donald Trump is claiming that his wife uh, has really gotten to know a man she's never met. Uh, and here's what Stephanie Grisham, the press secretary said, President Trump confides in his wife on many issues. <laughs> 
I'm sorry, this is so outrageous. President Trump confides in his wife on many issues, including the detailed elements of a strong relationship with Chairman Kim. And when the First Lady hasn't met him, and while the First Lady hasn't met met Chairman Kim, uh, the President feels like she's gotten to know him, too. She knows him intimately. It's so preposterous on so many (laughs) levels. Number one, that Trump and Melania even talk, okay? Because if you talk about like a marriage that's just a photo marriage, but the notion that they would be talking about uh, Kim Jong-un, you know, honey, I, he's a great guy. And, oh, I've really come to know him, Donald, for your co- Anyway, uh, that's it. All right, here we go. More evidence. I'm going to get your thoughts on this one. Is Donald Trump a losing it or is he just a liar? All right, here he is. Here's Donald Trump talking about his father and his attitude toward Germany. And he said he has great respect for Germany, uh, the country from which his father emigrated. Quote, my father is German, born in a very, very wonderful place in Germany. End of quote. Problem is. He Donald Trump was born in Germany. Was born in the Bronx. Right. At last I looked, the Bronx is not in Germany, okay? No. His uh, grandparents were from Germany, but his father wasn't from Germany. So, is Donald Trump losing it, or is he just a liar? No, I think he just wanted to be nice to the German people. He was just babbling? <laughs> yeah, ich bin ein Berliner. Yeah, so he just lied? or uh, So he didn't get confused and get carried away. Uh, I just say this. That's how I started the program. Hey, Republicans, if you're going to give Joe Biden's uh, little mental lapses a hard time, you know, take a look at your boy. He's, uh, he's He's got stumbling of his own. All right, you wanted to talk about men voting for women. You've been talking about this for a while. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Boy, I would hear reaction to this. Um because they keep saying that, like, men are not going to vote for uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren. Warren, right? My theory, wait till you get a reaction to this. I believe that men don't like to vote for women who remind them of their wives. <laughs> You've actually, I think, trotted this one out before. I believe it. Somebody once said about Hillary Clinton that she reminds guys of their ex-wife standing outside probate court. And I said, I said, yeah. And which reminds, within I said, why then isn't Tulsi Gabbard more popular with men? Can you look at, she's really attractive. She's really attractive. And I go like, more men I think should have been voting for her. They'll be going on her side. Because it's like, Tulsi Gabbard is like your second wife. <laughs> one well, this is the marriage <laughs> men uh, vote uh, theory. Uh, my, I, okay, I, let I, me t- let me tell you a story. Okay, okay. when Sarah Palin was running with McCain, mm-hmm. and I saw this guy on TV, and he asked, and he was wholeheartedly for Sarah Palin, and the reporter asked him, "Why are you going to vote for Sarah Palin?" And he said, "Because she's got great legs." And I said, that's how guys think. That is how guys think. Which means that the guy's probably thinking, if she becomes vice president, maybe one day she'll come to my house and and have sex with me because I voted for her. That's how guys think. You think that thought process actually went through that person's head? Yeah. Yeah. Because I know how guys think. All right, let me tell you something. His vote counts as much as yours. Mm-hmm. We just heard Miles Conflassen with, a, I thought, a brilliant analysis mm-hmm. of Joe Biden yeah. and progressive politics. Mm-hmm. And that guy who voted for Sarah Palin mm-hmm. that you just quoted, mm-hmm. his vote counts as much as Miles. Well, there you, you go. Know what I mean? <laughs> She's doing like, uh, like, give Miles more votes yeah. uh, than that guy. Uh, I actually do not believe, and this may be um, completely naive, I don't believe there will be. 
uh, be a backlash against uh, Elizabeth Warren if she is the nominee. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, who is Biden? Okay, supposedly Biden becomes the presidential nominee. Who he's going to pick? Um, he cannot pick another white guy. Okay. Um, is there a black candidate out there he could pick right now? Um, Stacey Abrams. No, doesn't have a chance. No, not her. Uh, I'm thinking the guy who lost in Florida, Andrew um, Gillum. Gillum? Mm-hmm. Possibility? Or what about Warren? Well, they're both from the Northeast. Uh, I don't think that counts anymore. I, listen, we'll have there plenty, used to be. We'll have plenty of time uh, yeah. to talk about this one, but I've said it all along. Uh, I would take Castro or Beto O'Rourke, someone from Texas, and just send them down to Texas. That's my that's my hope because those are swing. That that's a that's a um, thirty eight electoral votes that could swing the Democrats' way. Julian Castro. Who right now, Fidel Castro has a better shot. Okay, being vice president? <laughs> being vice president. All right. Uh, no, no, no. I become electing president. Oh, yeah, I mean. No, I'm just saying for uh, vice president. Nominee. Yeah, yeah. But that's a possibility. Um, but I just think uh, the Texas factor is very strong. All right. Uh, one, your last thought of the day, you said Joe Walsh. I have no idea where no, you're going to go he with this. No, he endlessly fascinates me because I'm trying to figure out what his end game is. I don't know what it is. Is it a gig on MSNBC? What is his end game? Because he can't, there's no way he can, you know, he knows it. Everybody knows it. He can't um, um, beat Trump to get the nomination. First of all, he can't even raise money. So he's after something. I've been watching his non really kind of sort of apology, apology, (laughs) which is pretty lame. You know, um, for example, I'm not a racist, but I've sa- I've said racist things. Yeah. So how that does that make you a racist? Yeah. Um, he once <laughs> said that black people were lazy. He actually said that mm-hmm. once, and he said no. He was really testing the limits of free speech. Uh, come on. So I'm trying to figure out what's his. And, and top of that, has he paid, by the way, has he paid off his child support? Oh, yeah, there's that issue. Yeah. Uh, listen, I. What's his end game? I, I, that's an intriguing point. Maybe he wants a, a bigger TV show or something. I, I have to say, or maybe he wants to change his image a little bit. Uh, because by virtue of the fact that he's running against Trump, suddenly Democrats aren't saying horrible things about him so much because he's a helpful. I know the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I'm not saying he's my friend. I would never say that in a million years. And he uh, has a terrible track record uh, and has said many despicable things. I'm, so I would never say he is my friend. I will say this. He is an annoyance to Donald Trump, and I welcome him being an annoyance to Donald Trump. That's the most I'll give for him. But by being an annoyance to Donald Trump, he's sort of burning his bridges to his base. You get what I'm saying? You're right. I have no idea. He'll never be popular with Democrats, mm-hmm. so I have no idea what he's up to, and I can't see it working well for him. Sergio Mendes, my guest, Black Harvest Film Festival. Uh, as soon as and and by the way, can I just add that I want to thank again the uh, Cisco Film Center for awarding me the uh, Gene Cisco Legacy Award, which I was awarded with a week and a half ago. Uh, as I said, the first award I've ever gotten for anything in my life. And um, it's uh, quite a heavy award. Wow. Pretty heavy. You mean uh, literally? Weight. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was literally heavy, yeah. It's solid crystals. Really, very yeah, heavy. Yeah, no, that was a big deal. And um, I have found a place to put it in a house. 
you know. Um, and uh, I want to thank him again, you know. So that was very nice. And also, I've been uh, I've been picked to be one of New City's fifty in film. Uh, take my picture next week. Yeah. So uh, that's a- and that's you're doing uh, voiceover work uh, for which commentaries uh, commentary movie for which mo- movie that I just saw you just sent it to me. Uh, I'm blanking. On oh, it. Manco Adam. Yeah, which is and uh, also I'm doing one for the Warlord. Uh, yeah, so uh, Sergio Mims is the man when it comes to movies. And I once one more time urge everybody to check out uh, if you uh, are finally getting around to seeing. Um, uh, but still, if you're interested in seeing Crooklyn, it's tonight at six thirty. Um, still, take a chance. Come on down. You know, uh, I know tickets have been sold out since this past weekend, but uh, you never know. You may have a shot. All right, and Sergio. Before we go, could we hear that Bernie Sanders impression one more time? I believe you said something about tomato soup. It was my soup, my tomato soup. That's good. Unbelievable, Bernie. Thank you for coming by. That's Sergio Mims. Want to thank you very much. Kim Ortiz did a great job when she was here. Uh, uh, Miles Conflassen from In These Times. I want to thank the other Miles. Uh, there's a lot of miles uh, in the studio today. Uh, he did an outstanding job. I'm sorry. As well. It's just Bernie Sanders sounds like a character from a 1930s Warner Brothers against the film. You take Louis and Lefty, <laughs> and we'll go down with it. Okay. Right. $27. No, do, it, no, do it again. No, he's got a good tomato soup. Uh, and of What's course, like tomato soup? <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend behind the board. Back home in Alton, Illinois, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. <laughs> take right. it out of petty cash. <laughs> See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs> And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Uh, apologies to everybody uh, who tried listening or watching on the Facebook or YouTube live stream today. I don't know what the hell happened, all right? I was trying like crazy. I was under the table, hammering stuff. I don't know what happened. I'm looking into it, and we'll be live tomorrow. And remember, yeah, we'll be live tomorrow. I was going to say we live stream, but I got to work on it. So follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook and Twitter, the Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Isn't that right, Robert Mueller? That's correct.